There will be threats, so we should have uncomfortable conversations, not shy away from them. But I believe in humanity. I think we will figure out a way. It felt like the biggest decision of my life. So if you believe that that statement is true, you have a misconception around what creativity actually is. Welcome back to the NatWest Business Show. I'm your host, Angelica Bell. And this week, we're joined by a very exciting guest, Oliver Yonchev. Now, for over a decade, Oliver has been at the forefront of digital marketing and transformation, helping guide the management of many of the world's best-known companies. The co-founder and CEO of Flight Story, Oliver has also become a hugely respected name in the AI space, bringing practical and easy-to-understand takes on the opportunities it brings. So if you're looking for marketing words of wisdom or want to do something in the tech space, listen up. Oliver, welcome to the show. I love your jacket. Do you like it? <laughs> I love I wore it. I it especially for you. <laughs> Thank you. I felt, I walked in and I thought, you know what? I need to step my game up this time. <laughs> well, you can just do it with words now. But listen, before we hear about your story, I would love to hear a business confession from you. How you might have turned adversity or a mistake into an opportunity for growth. Okay, there are many stories I could tell that would be incriminating <laughs> or embarrassing, but I am going to tell one that I think there's really valuable lessons. Okay. I'm going to go back to the start of my career. Um, I used to work in media sales and uh, anyone who's worked in sales, uh, not every day you pick up the phone and get a big sale. Mm. It just lands on your lap. Um, one day that happens to me and it's the start of the month. So you're targeted uh, basically on your month. And I take it easy for the rest of the day. I literally get my full month target in, in one phone call. So you must be sitting about going, yes, this, yeah. is, this is it. This Ooh. is it. I'm taking it easy. I'm probably, ego gets to me. And I, I walk out the office with swag and my boss grabs me for a second. He takes me into an office and he says, um, Oliver, um, I'm going to take that sale off you. And the sense of injustice I felt in the moment, he went, I'm going to take it off you. He said, as a team we haven't hit our target. So I'm taking it off you. And I, I did something like really out of character for me at the time. I'm quite agreeable as a person, but I walked out. I, was, I, I felt hurt. All the things that, you know, you, you do. Yeah, I walked out. I went home. Um, and we'd only known each other for a month. So we didn't have a... Later on, the, the relationship bloomed, but we didn't know each other very well. Uh, came in the next day, probably with a bit of attitude, and he pulls me aside again and says, you know what, Oliver, I can see you've been a baby still. <laughs> he said this to me. <laughs> I can see you've been a baby. And I went, fair enough. Um, and he said, um, if you hit your target this month, I'm going to give you that sale back. You have to be a team player. So I left the room and I had two choices. I could either be a baby and sulk, or I could try and do what he said. And um, being honest, I was a baby and sulked for the rest of the day. <laughs> Again, went home, thought I'm going to quit. Um, but then I went, you know what? I'm not going to quit. I don't generally quit at things. And I just worked really hard that month. Ended up hitting my target. Ended up getting all my commission bonuses. The team hit their target. Um, and I learned a ton from that experience really early, early on. One about leadership. Because um, do you think that was great leadership? Great leadership, yeah. It's not always about doing the the thing that everybody wants you to do, but it's how do you get the most out of people? And for me, he never told me this explicitly, but I thought it was a test, like a character test. Are you going to keep sulking and feeling sorry for yourself and having a sense of injustice? 
or are you going to do the right thing? Um, and that's what I did. So I learned about great leadership, but I also learned that business is a team game. Mm. It really is a team game. Business, by definition, is a group of people building things, right? Um, so you have to be a team player. And it was a really good foundation early on in my career, and it always stuck with me. That's a great story. And what happened in your boss? Yeah, we he became an incredible mentor to me. A huge amount of respect for him. Um, learned so much, uh, really about integrity. He, he was just a person of great integrity. Didn't tell people what they um, wanted, told people what they needed to hear. And um, I, I try and carry that through in my own way. So that little story, you didn't hit it off well, but it ended up... Yeah. Being a beautiful thing. You learn more from the stuff that isn't perfect, right? Yeah. Um, I think we all have those examples in life. Well, thank you for that confession. Um, now to your career journey itself, okay? How did it all begin? How far we go back we go in? We're going dreams, aspirations. Let's do let's do that because it's you know, I've heard drumming, you were a drummer, music, and yeah. then it's all just you know. so so um I'm going to say I grew up delusionally ambitious. And I'm going to say delusionally um, because I was like, I'm going to be a football player. So grew up, wanted to be a football player. Um, asked the question, I'm going to be a football player. Were you good? Yeah, I was pretty good. I was, pre I was probably not as good as I tend to think I was. Hence the delusional part. <laughs> the delusional part. In my mind, I was amazing. I was yeah. pretty good. I played at a high level, yeah. um, high level youth football. Um and then I got an injury when I'm 16. And 16 is like this point in your life where you have to make some what seemingly really important choices. Uh, and I thought, right, well, I was about to go play semi-professional, get paid to play football. And I couldn't, couldn't start the season. So um, I did the next thing that I knew that was delusionally ambitious, which was music. So my mother was a choreographer and she used to take me to drum lessons when I was younger. So I always, I'd learned how to drum. I thought, right, I'm going to be a music producer. So I went to college, formed a band while I was there. I could play drums um, and then did that for a few years. And, th and that was pretty successful again. Like we did well, learned a lot through that experience, got a record deal. Um, and that came to a sudden end because apparently musicians are temperamental. My brother was the singer and he fell out with a guitarist. <laughs> We had our record deal, we recorded our album, and then they fell out. It's so like kind of, Oasis all over again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, lead singers, egos, creatives, all of that. Um, so I was kind of left in a bit of limbo. Of going, I've just spent, you know, four years of my life building up to something, had some amazing experiences. I go, what do I do? What do I do? So I went, right, I'm going to go to university to do music. So I went to university in Huddersfield, studied music, and part of my course was promotion and marketing. And um, I found myself really enjoying it. I was like, oh, this is a real career. And I thought, right, I'm, I'm going to try and pursue a career in marketing. So um, post-university, I joined a large media owner. I was doing media sales. Did that for five years. This is where you had your confession. This is where I had my confession. Okay. Um, great business, um, learned a lot. And my entrepreneurial career, you know, people tend to believe that you have to, um, entrepreneurs are born and they're like selling cigarettes in school when they're 16 and hustling. That, that wasn't me. I was just a big dreamer, just trying stuff, saying yes, trying experiences. Um, and then I, I found some stability in a career and probably five years into that process, I found myself with that itch. You know, when you get an itch where you feel like you've taken enough from an experience, 
And I started to buy lots of domains for websites. So I'm a person, and believe this or not, I have literally hundreds of domains that I've acquired over the years. And I've spent, I spend thousands annually renewing ideas for businesses that I never pursue. It's a, it's a, I'm going to say it's a bit of an addiction of mine. <laughs> so you just own all these domains? Yeah, these, these are domains for ideas that have never lived, right? Business ideas. So I was finding myself thinking, right, I want to do something on my own. I feel I have some skills. I've learned some stuff. And then I'm scrolling down Facebook one day and I see a piece of content from Stephen Bartlett. And he was talking about building a multi-million dollar business, knowing nothing about business. And it spoke to me. <laughs> I was like, me too. <laughs> me too. But I want to do it. So I did something I'd never done before. I reached out to him and just said, hey, inspiring story. Love what you do. And I had, I, I genuinely had no intent. No intent. I didn't want anything. He reached back out to me and said, hey, do you want to meet? I said, I'm building something. We're looking for great people. I've looked at your LinkedIn profile. Um, looks like you've got some good experiences. So I met. Um, I mean, I this is crazy. I'm first of all, can I just I want to interrupt yeah, quickly? Course. It seems that whatever you do, you want to do it to the best of your ability. Whether that's being a footballer, okay, there was an injury. Whether that's yeah. being a musician, set up a band, you know, get a record deal, marketing. You're like, mm, what can I do? Start buying up domains, and then you're sitting there going, do you know what? I want a new challenge and I'm going to reach out, which another thing that people say, if you have an idea or you see something, reach out. The only thing that can happen is someone doesn't respond or doesn't say, or says no. Yeah, well, we don't like rejection. Rejection is awful. So this idea that you'll send an endearing message to someone and they're just going to ignore you. But my motives were genuinely of inspiration. And, I, and it was the first time I'd ever done it. And I was taught a lesson through this process. Were so, you nervous? No, because it, it was just uh, an appreciation. Right. I sent someone an appreciation because so I didn't ex my expectation. expectation. Yes. I had no expectation. You weren't expecting anything off it. You just thought this is... No, I was doing it for the right reason. So I met Steve, looked at the business that he was building. It was a social media business. Um, and I was inspired. I was like, what is this place? It's random. There's a ball pit. There's dogs running around. Everyone here is my age. And he said, do you want to come join us? And at the time, it felt like a cliff edge. So I was doing really well in my career. I'd been part of a large organization. And there was this scrappy little startup in Manchester. Um, and it felt like the biggest decision of my life. Inadvertently, it wasn't. Decided to make the leap, join that business. And I spent five years building that with Stephen. Um, took me to the US. You know, by the time I left, the business that had, was employing 1,400 people, um, it was a bit like entrepreneur school for me. I always said the, the environment was just this magical place where social media was becoming increasingly important in the world. You had a load of delusional kids trying to figure out business. Um, and there was something magic about that period. And then, as all good things come to an end, uh, Stephen and I left that business. And, uh, so we you decided decide to leave together? Yeah, he left a year before me. Right, I understand. Okay. Left a year before me. I left a year later. Uh, he said to me, he said, uh, we're, we're really good friends now. I said, do you want to create something new? And we sat around the table. I went, what? He went, and he said to me, what are you good at? I went, wow, this is kind of a big question. What are you good at? So we kind of broke that down rationally. Well, what, what are we good at? And we had all this hindsight of going, okay, well, the world's changed a lot since the last business. Social media once was a new thing. 
no longer is. You know, many people understand social media now. Go, okay, well, what, what opportunities do we see in front of us? And that's always, I think, an interesting space to anchor a business. The other was, what are we good at? And we distilled it down that um, we have a deep appreciation for creating great cultures and giving teams philosophies to be highly effective at marketing. And marketing to me is two things. It's the intersection between business and psychology. Learning about people, understanding people, what influences them, and solving business problems. Um, so we knew that, that we knew those two things. Um, and then we just started. I'm the biggest believer in um, you don't have to have all the answers. We're all paralyzed by, you know, we want to know the end state or we want to see the mountaintop. We didn't. We just went, right, we're going to start this thing. We've got some skills. We'd achieved a lot with no resources, no experience um, and much a much lower profile. And now we had a few resources. We had some connections. We had a lot more experience. So, so you had backup. Yeah, there was a lot. Well, I, I think um, I've always been very, as I said, delusionally confident. And I, I think it's fuel. You know, if you're not going to be your own, uh, your own greatest cheerleader, who is? Yeah. So I, I've kind of had that from a young age. I've continued that. But as you go through life and you collect experiences and you learn what you're good at, what you're not, I think you become more self-aware. I think that's one of the things that holds businesses back because even when you said, you know, you sat down with Stephen and you said, and he said to you, what are you good at? Yeah. If we all think about that, you know, everyone listening, go, what, if we think about what are we good at? You don't want to say it, even to yourself, because you think, oh, it's conceited or... It's very British. Yes. It's a very British mannerism. But when you sort of empower yourself and say what you're good at, you usually fly because you're like, you know where to go, the direction to, you know, put all your efforts in. Yeah, you don't need to. There's a, there's a thing called skill stacking, right? And if anyone's not familiar with what skill stacking is, it's this idea that you can be the best in the world by being the best at nothing. It seems it seems contradictory, right? Mm. Um, and what it means is, it means that if you take complementary skills and you're in the top 10% of that, so take a, a Steve Jobs, for example, iconic entrepreneur, built one of the greatest companies to ever exist. What was his skill stack? Well, you could say he was in the top 10% of developers. Wasn't the best developer, but he understood code. He's a great communicator speaker or rater okay is he in the top 10 percent? absolutely maybe the top one percent in, in that field but then he had these unusual skills he studied typography yeah and he had an appreciation for design and typically people that are very analytical and great or exceptional at code are usually it's not natural for them to necessarily be great communicators or certainly have a understanding of design so you start to combine these skills and that's how you create an exceptional person and I suppose there's actually data to substantiate if you're if you have five skills that you're in the top 10% you can be the best in your country if you have 10 of those skills where you're in the top 10% you are the best in the world and you can extrapolate this across sport across music um, if you break any successful person down, they will have a set of complementary skills and some of them might be unusual. Hmm, where do I sit? Anyway, that's another story. Good exercise to do. Yeah. <laughs> Good exercise. Exactly. <laughs> I think we should have a little breather. Okay. Should we have a little breather? Good. Um, this is the moment 
we call trending takes. So I'm going to post some contentious statements that the team have found online. And I'd just love to hear your viewpoint, your perspective. Okay. AI is unable to produce art due to its lack of human experience. Um, that is the, the, the wrongest statement I've heard today. And I'll tell you why. There is a misconception on what creativity is. People conflate creativity with originality. Creativity is not that. Creativity is taking experiences that we all have, taking inspiration, things we like and see, and producing new things. So what are you doing? You're taking data and you're creating something new. Generative AI does the exact same thing. So if you believe that that statement is true, you have a misconception around what creativity actually is. Here's another trending take for you. Regulating AI is impossible. Not impossible, difficult. It's a very complex question. There are people that believe that the only way to slow down the machine is to put a 99% tax to kill innovation and we can act now. That's what some people believe. I don't necessarily believe that's the right solution. Um, I think governments have a huge responsibility, but alongside others, the people creating technology, other influential voices in the space, I think the response to governing AI has to be multifaceted, but it's such an important topic, governments should pay attention. Okay, here's a good one for you. Mindless scrolling has become an epidemic. Absolutely. I am also guilty and addicted to my phone. Um, people wouldn't know this, but I have a third job which is YouTube binges to try and educate myself till a unthinkable time, getting lack of sleep ahead of my meetings. Um, it is a real problem. The, the unintended consequences of social media have undoubtedly propagated phone addiction. I have a friend that has a very helpful system and he believes that we should create friction between ourselves and things that are addictive. Think sugar, unhealthy food, we have them in moderation. So he has two phones. One phone has all his addictive applications, social media, has his full contact list, and he ensures that he uses that phone sparingly. And then he has this other phone that is about productivity. He has his meaningful apps, he has meditative things, he has his key contacts, and only the people that he wants contacting him have that number. And I think that's an extreme version, but there's a lot we all can do around creating a bit of friction between us and these very addictive applications because they do add a hell of a lot of value. But as all things, there is a counterbalance. Mm. So create friction. Friction. Leave the phone out the room before you go to sleep is the number one tip I have. That wraps up this section. And for you at home, if you're watching this podcast on YouTube, get involved in the comments as we'd love to know what you think of those trending takes. Well, let's go back to you, Flight Story. So that was the beginning yes. of that business. Very exciting. And I've got a quote here because it says, Flight Story prides itself on keeping brands at the forefront of what's possible. Tell me how you guys go about doing that. Yeah, that's our romantic statement. I think it's really important when you work in 
a business to have a bigger calling, a very clear why to exist. There are many marketing companies in the world. Um, and I'm the biggest believer that the future winners won't be doing the same things as today's winners. They'll be doing something different. They'll be doing something new. They'll take advantage of change. So we felt that if we anchored a business to change, we became really comfortable. That's probably a smart thing to do. Um, how do we do that? Well, it starts with us being exceptionally curious. We have to have the deepest appreciation for learning. So anyone that tells you they know what's coming next with certainty, they're full of, you know, get the expletive. <laughs> they're, 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 full <laughs> <laughs> they're full of it. They're full of it. But what you can look at is history and understand, you know, why things change. And I, I'm really obsessed with innovations. I'm going to say, you mentioned before that we have a lot of credibility in AI. I'm going to be really honest. I'm a YouTube educated AI expert because I have a... <laughs> <laughs> Don't ruin it for me, Oliver. No, I, okay, I need but to I see what saying. So you're saying that continuous learning yes. and having a curious mind gives you the edge in business. So what you're saying is AI, you, you, we hear about AI and yeah. you're like, I'm going to jump on this. I'm going to become obsessed. Obsessed with it. Yes. Because I want to be riding that wave. Yes. And I'm also going to surround myself with much smarter people than me that truly understand this wave. And, and we can get into AI because I think AI is a topic that is often misunderstood and it's quite intimidating. Mm. It's, uh, it feels... It's quite scary. Yeah, it is scary because what you have in media more broadly is the most extreme opinion wins. So you have the people that have built and been in AI for the longest time, the most senior figures... They sound like existentialists. They warn of this thing that could come and wipe us all out. And they talk about job losses and all of these really intimidating things. Um, but I just think powerful innovations always have a counterbalance. So with any innovation in a, in a, in, in, in in of themselves. Mm -hmm. I got that right. Yeah, I? Yeah. I got that right. <laughs> I nearly bailed on it, but I, I, but you, I persisted. You went, yes, I persisted. Because that's all about you. Keep going. Um, the technology is not bad or good. The technology is just really, really powerful. And when I think about innovation, if we're being really objective, the things that kind of change our world, they should we should only innovate for a few reasons. To make things cheaper, faster, or create something better. And these kind of world-changing innovations generally do all of these things. So when I think about AI specifically and why I became obsessed was if I break down the one thing that humans have that has never been, I suppose, disrupted, it's the unique thing that we have, which is intelligence. And now there's a good chance we don't have that. So for me, I see this as the biggest wave coming into shore. People compare it to the internet. I think it's greater than the internet, and I can go into that. Mm -hmm. um, and I can either try and ride this wave and understand this wave and take advantage, or I can just sit back ignorantly, ignore it, and just pretend it doesn't. it's not going to affect me. Um, and I choose the uh, former. Okay. So I'm just trying to dissect what you're saying there, is that innovation... There will always be a yin and yang, a good and yes. bad. 
So focus on the positive and see how that can help business strategies and businesses grow. Well, let me let me give you an example that I think we can all relate to. Social media. Social media was really simple. It's changed the world, right? But it started as a place to connect us, to, uh, to create better online experiences. What happened years later? Amazing things happened. Industries formed, businesses formed, careers, new jobs that we didn't think would ever exist. But the counterbalance was influencing public agenda. The difference between real and fake is is getting increasingly harder to understand. The rise in mental health problems because you, the, the, the point of self-comparison. Our lives are now geared by algorithms. So this influences behaviors of society. So you go, okay, on one hand, it's done so much good for the world and I get so much value personally. But there are a series of unintended consequences that we couldn't have envisaged. When I think about AI, I think it's important you have the uncomfortable conversation and say, okay, what if? What if these things happened? What if there is a huge disruption to jobs? What if we achieve a state of general intelligence and the machine is out of control? I think you have to have those conversations, but that doesn't take away from the fact that I'll give you... A really good example. There is technology now, AI technology, that can screen and identify cancer. There is a weather model that predicts weather patterns so we can avoid natural disasters and act accordingly in remote parts of the world. Think of the climate crisis and what an enabler that is for protecting humanity. Go a step further. You can now use ChatGPT offline. You don't even have to be connected to the internet. They are rolling this out in remote locations around the world and teaching children that don't have the privileges we do. And in my world, marketing, we're creating some cool stuff and doing copy and writing poems about Eminem and cats. You know, like we trivialize what's happening here, but around the world, there are some profound things happening. Oliver, how do you foresee then, you know, Web3, AI, data, etc., shaping business strategies and the customer experience? Okay, I won't go into the future too far because I could I could either scare you or inspire you. I don't know. But I'll say in the very near term. So what I think is going to happen in the next two years is, number one, we are going to see a productivity paradigm, meaning small teams are now going to be capable of things that only much larger, much greater resource teams were. I'll give you a couple of rational examples. Now, we are all overscheduled with meetings in a post-COVID age. Um, what I can do now is I can send an AI to my meetings. I don't even have to attend. It will transcribe the conversation, pick out words that reference me, automatically drop that into my task list, which means I can go to three times as many meetings as I used to go to. If that's not going to be a productivity shift, I don't know what will be. But what if I want you there? Then it's going to be rather insulting when I send my AI <laughs> to come chat to you. Um, I do think there's another part that's going to happen in the next two years. Um, intelligence. We all have a personal assistant that can find us anything out. And I mean like literally anything. If you were creating content around finance, you could go onto a platform and a tool and say, tell me the top 
10 TikTok videos of my category. Tell me what are five common themes that all of these videos share and give me a story arc and script for me to create content around. So you're now empowered with intelligence that you wouldn't have had before. You'd have to work with a partner, an agency. So I think because of we're going to have so much more intelligence, we're going to have the ability to be so much more productive, I think that's a, a really powerful thing. And then the third part is generative AI, meaning the ability to create new things in real time. You are now not bound by your technical limitations of not knowing code. You want to go build a website, you just need to know what you want. You want to go design something, you just need to know what you want. And previously, humanity has been bound by the limitations because of language is this complex thing. Now language is ubiquitous. I can write something in text. On ChatGPT now, I can take a picture of that plant and say, what is this? Can you tell me where to buy it? Um, how should I treat this plant? And just from a picture, I could orate that. Language is no longer a limitation. So for me, what does that mean? I think that's going to be the biggest unlock for great thinkers, great minds to be more entrepreneurial that aren't bound by their technical limitations. And like, that's what inspires me. I mean, when you talk about it like that, it sounds exciting. It sounds productive. But then I, I'm thinking about it and I can foresee some challenges. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's discuss those because like you said, there's always of a course. flip side. Because if you've got all this intelligence... Will there be need for marketing companies like yourself? Yes. Um, there's, a, there's a meme going around in our community in marketing that says designers are safe because clients need to know what they want. And there's kind of, we don't know what we want. If I said to you something like, tell me your biggest ambition and dream and how are you going to do it? Yeah, just, oh, that's such a big question. You're going to bail on that question. Yeah. What we all do, right? Mm. So you need to know there is a role. Think of technology and AI now as augmenting our experiences. Um, there's a quote that I love that I, I, I suppose um, embodies where I feel we are in the AI curve right now. And it said, mediocrity is now free, meaning the bar has been raised, but humans have to step up. Um, and before I go into the negatives, I will say what I'm really encouraged by is I thought social media was a great societal uh, leveler in the sense that we democratized information and news. And if you understood the internet, if you understood social media, you could achieve great things. And that was wonderful for people that had less privileges. We didn't have the gatekeepers. You go a step further and go, well, if AI is going to improve our productivity, every industry may be affected and more than likely is. What does that mean for people in parts of the world with less privileges? They now have these incredibly powerful tools at a very low cost that mean they can achieve great things. So I'm really encouraged by that stuff. On to threats. I'll start macro because I think it's worth level setting. Um, we brought in a wonderful mind called Mo Galdat into our business and appointed him as our chief AI officer. Yeah. Um, one of the things, he wrote a book, in, released a book in 2019 called Scary Smart. And that was my first introduction. It's really interesting to look back just a few years and see some of the warnings that he described in his book start to become true. And some of the things that he spoke about is the power of these tools. So first, one thing we should not do is teach the machine to self-replicate. We shouldn't teach the machine to code because it can now self-replicate. 
Today, there's a developer tool called GitHub, and almost 50% of all code is developed by AI, and that's in eight months. In two years, probably 80% of all code that exists online is going to be artificially intelligent created. So put that into context. He made a big warning that we shouldn't teach the machine to self-replicate. It's going to do that in abundance. The next signal that he talked about was do not make it open source until we have governance, until we have protections and safeguards in place. What did we do? We plugged it into the internet and let every kid in their bedroom interface and play with this on a regular basis. So we, again, breached that barrier that we shouldn't have breached until we had more answers. There is something really scary that happens in AI because people debate and contest whether this is really intelligence. There's a thing called emergent properties. And these are effectively anomalies that happen that can't be explained. And a really famous one happened in Google. You know Google Translate? Yeah. So the language model that that was built on, basically the CEO and the team behind that entire model could not explain how the model learned Bengali to a perfect level. It had never been taught Bengali. And to this day, they cannot explain how it learned a new language that it was never taught, never trained on. And you hear things like that, and the smartest people in the world, way smarter than me, just go, I don't know. That, to me, is an unknown unknown that is a little scary. Um, And you have, in the world right now, you have governments all grappling with how do we govern, how do we protect, how do we take advantage? We see this innovation, people, capitalism's a hell of a pull, right? Mm. So you see governments around the world, you have more capital being deployed into AI than ever before in history. You have titans of tech building at what people believe is an unethical level and every kid in their bedroom playing with it. I just go, the world's going to get really weird in the next two to three years. So forget job losses for a second, because I think humans are wonderful and we find ways to create value in, in, in a number of ways. I'm actually less worried about that. Jobs will go, but more jobs will be created and jobs by large will just evolve. I think they're just going to change and evolve. Okay. The bigger threats to us in the immediate term, and I'll, I'll leave you with one kind of existential, is it's much harder now to determine what's real and what's fake. Have you seen deep fakes where people's now image can be replicated? I can take three seconds of your voice from this podcast and recreate you. And it'll sound a little off, but in one year's time, it won't. It'll sound perfect. I can do a deep fake model of you that has your facial expressions, behaves like you, has a dope jacket on, all of those things. And I can do that at a click of a button. Cost me next to nothing. Yeah, but and and I think people listening... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not that there needs to be more replications <laughs> of me. Um, we'll find what you're saying fearful. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you give, you know, to those businesses who are thinking, actually, I need to be part of that innovation mm-hmm. and, you know, get on that wave that we're talking about. But then there's, you know, these challenges we're talking about yeah. and the future, which we don't know what will look like. The foundation is education. And I think there are a few things that we all can be empowered to do. Pursue your curiosity. Go onto YouTube. Listen to people that talk about this stuff. Make balanced and informed decisions based on that. And I recommend everybody to start just playing and understanding how it can impact their life. There will be threats, so we should have uncomfortable conversations, not shy away from them, not bury our heads in the sand. But I believe in humanity. 
I think we will figure out a way. So what you're saying to businesses is educate yourselves, look at innov- mm-hmm. innovation and see how it can work for your business to, to upscale or make your business more successful. Lean in, lean in. The one bit of advice when I just lean in, learn, lean in, try. We have a philosophy of flight story, which is we experiment, but we outfail the competition. We celebrate our failures. Because if we are to stay at the forefront of what it is we do and help our partners stay at the forefront, we need to outfail everyone. We need to experiment more. We need to lean into every shiny new toy that's available and understand them. And that gives us some advantages. And I believe it will give many businesses the same. Oliver, looking back at your career, is there anything you'd have done differently? Oh, God, loads of things. <laughs> well, I, it, yeah, it's, is that links to what you say things. about, you know, c- celebrating your failures as well? Yeah, I look, look, I am very privileged and happy and fulfilled. So it'd be disingenuous for me to say that I'd changed loads of things. I, I'm kind of being a bit jovial about that. <laughs> but um, the reality is so I'm happy with where I am. But I would say I wish I took more risks. I've always been a, a pursue a passion or an interest. Um, and my dad always sort of taught me growing up um, Money, we all want to make a living, uh, but that should never be your goal. If you get great at things and something, you create value, you'll always make money. And that should be front of set. Too many businesses, and I think specifically in businesses today, I think too many businesses focus on the commercial part of it, making money. What you should as a business do is just focus on being great at what you do and exceptional. And if you do that, I think, I think the rewards come off the back of that. So rewards aren't necessarily financial, but just yeah. purpose. Yeah, I don't I don't imagine anyone ever sits on their deathbed and is just like looking at their bank account, right? I genuinely don't think that. That's not to say money isn't wonderful. It enables freedom. Um, but really, if you're anchored to the right thing, and the right thing for me is like do great things, be try and be great at what I do um, and create value in the world. If you focus on that, you're probably going to win anyway. Oliver, now finally, if you had to give our listeners three pieces of advice on running a successful business, what would they be? I'm going to say business is very hard. Many downs, many ups, but there are many downs. So something that helps me is I have a lot of balance in life. And balance to me, and balance to everybody is kind of different. Balance to me isn't like I don't work a lot. I work an ungodly amount ungodly amount and I make sacrifices undoubtedly but what I have balanced I have great friendships families relationships I love sport football boxing I have other things I care about entrepreneurship is very much attached to your identity so when business fails which it inevitably will or things go wrong if that is the only thing you're focused on your world comes crumbling down. Mm. So you have to have the support systems and it'll be different for everybody. That's number one. The second thing is be optimistic. We talked about negatives. Optimism is self-fulfilling. I would much rather be in a room full of optimists than pessimists. And pessimism is also self-fulfilling. If you're an entrepreneur or starting a business, you have to have belief. You have to be optimistic. So find that. And then probably the third bit of advice I would give is back to my, I suppose, foundational business lesson. Um, Business is a team sport. Um, Business, by definition, is just a group of people, right? And when you truly understand that, surround yourself with people that you like, that are complementary, but prioritize that in your decision making. Make sure that you treat your people good. You invest in your culture. Um, If you get that right, 
your business will succeed. Would you like to get involved with some rapid fire questions? Let's go. Okay. Who is your business inspiration? Elon Musk. But I want to explain why, because he's a controversial figure. Okay, so you did do a rapid fire. So we're going to cut. No more rapid fire for a second. Okay, I want to do because there was a picture of him when he made all the cuts at Twitter or X, and he's like in the engine room with the engineers. The guy runs multiple billion dollar companies, and he's in the engine room with the engineers. Like, I've got to respect that. So he's with the people. He's yeah, he's just in the, the soldiers product. with the soldiers. He's mm. in the trenches. So I, I have to respect that. Okay. What advice would you give your younger self? Say yes to more things. Mm, this goes back to the risk thing. What do you most enjoy about owning and running your business? Working with people that I admire and love. Yeah, good. One thing nobody's talking about in business that they should be. Stop optimizing for productivity. We should have some fun along the way. Favourite business hack? Chat GPT. One tip on how you stay motivated during tough times or setbacks? I work out like a demon if I'm having a bad day. Okay, so have something separate that yeah, you can just... Yeah, just, just let the stress out. Off. Just never feel bad after a workout. Okay. Where can people follow you online to know more about you and your businesses? Um, Oliver Yonchev. I do a lot on LinkedIn in terms of content. Um, but if you want to find out about Flight Story, flightstory.com. Oliver, thank you so much for talking to us today. You're so inspiring. And yes, you can have my jacket. Thank you. <laughs> and to those listening or watching at home, thank you. Don't forget to hit follow and subscribe so you can stay in the loop with the latest episodes. And if today's episode with Oliver has got you thinking about kickstarting your own business, NatWest have lots of tools and information on their website to help you take those next steps. <laughs>